0: Y'all can be seated. As the team sits down, I'll tell you that, and I think I've told y'all this before, I, I have to move a lot. I, when I ask the kids, do you move, I've had to move a lot. And so one of the things that sticks with me that, that I think about heaven is when I get a chance to hear voices I've heard in worship singing again, it's like a taste of heaven. Like that's that's one of the things that I imagine heaven will be like is that I'll get to sing with all my friends again. And so um, when I got to hear y'all's voices, even as you were warming up and I was walking up to Bee Creek and I heard their voices that I haven't heard in like two and a half years, it was really, really special. So I'm glad to have y'all here. And they came for just as a gift. Yeah. I tried to get them to like take an honorarium and they wouldn't. They just came as a gift to us, so be sure to thank them. Um, We're going to continue. This is the last of a sermon series that we've talked about going home. I wanted to mention a few things um, before we begin. I I printed out some scriptures for you. It's on a bit of a thicker piece of paper because a lot of you have asked me um, and a lot of other churches have asked me, you know, someone you love is dying. What do I read to them? Well, here are some scriptures that are really great. Um, for a time like that these are also good if you just you know if you need some encouragement but what I was thinking is you could put this into your bible just have it there um, so that if you encounter that or just put it somewhere where you'll remember you could have these scriptures handy um, just in case so those are for you if you'd like some of you have already asked me if you could have extra copies of course you can just call the church office and we'll get you some of those and then of course you have your study guide which has a, um, related scriptures for this week, they all tie back in to what we're talking about, and then um, kind of a devotional thought and a prayer. So if you you know that we try to one of the goals of being a member here is that we're going to pray for an hour a week, ten minutes a day, um, we're going to be in our scriptures, that's a way to do that. So let me tell you a silly story. I want you to picture something in your mind. Um, it was Holy Week, it was 2004. Um, and I was more than nine months pregnant. When people were asking me that week, um, when is the baby due? I I was saying something like it was due on Saturday, okay? So Holy Week, and I'm a pastor, more than nine months pregnant. I was at work. It was Wednesday. It was Holy Week. You go to work, right? I was going to work right up until the baby came, which I hoped would be after Easter services on Sunday. That's what I was planning on. I was two weeks wait, so I was like, We're golden, right? My mom always had babies late. I'm going to have babies late. It's going to be fine. So the doctor made me come in. When you get that close, the doctor makes you come in all the time. I was in for another checkup. They strapped something to my giant stomach and made me lie still. And they were like, look, you're not still enough. We're not getting a reading. And I'm like, look, it's been like 30 minutes to an hour. I need to get back to work, right? Anyway, that's just the state I was in. I was ready to go back to work. It was Holy Week. That's one of the big weeks for pastors. And so the the tech comes in and looks and is like hmm and walks out. Don't you love it when they say that? Like hmm. So I go to the doctor's office and the doctor says, "Well, guess what, you're in labor." I was like, "Really? Is that what that is?" I had no idea that that She's like, "Yeah, you're in labor and um you have your bag in the car?" Like your hospital bag. And I was like, "Uh, no. I was going back to work, right? <laughs> I was going to And she said, well, it's at home then. And San Angelo is not such a big town that you couldn't just drive home and get it. And I was like, yeah, it's at home. I was thinking it literally is at home, but probably it's up in the attic, the bag, and I haven't put anything in it. I hadn't put anything in my hospital bag because I just kept thinking I had more time. And I, I'm embarrassed about that, and I feel foolish, and um, Kevin and I didn't say a word. Like, we weren't like, well, we haven't even packed. I mean, like, because it's coming for nine months, duh, right? And so there we are. We're running to the back home. I'm in labor, right, with our first baby, and I'm trying to pack. That was one of the stupidest things I have ever ever done. And I had no excuse for it. I just kept thinking I have time, right? I have time. I have time to get my act together. And when I thought about this series, I think that a lot of us treat dying this way. Is that none of us, see, we actually kind of know when the baby's going to come. None of us know when we're going to die. Doesn't, I mean, that's what the Bible tells us. None of us know that date. We don't know when it's happening. And so maybe because we don't know we just keep assuming we've got time to get stuff in order. We have time to pack our bags and to make it work out. We still have time, I'm sure, right? And so we're not ready. And I want to tell y'all that as I was praying through this, as I was getting ready for the service, I thought, you know, I brought my child into this world, but I wouldn't want her to leave that way. I I mean, you can look at pictures and tell after Anna was born. Like, they were like, you're going to take her picture. What do you want to put her in? And I was like, oh, clothes. You know, like she just stayed in that stupid hospital gown because I I wasn't ready. You know, I don't want it to be like that when I die. I don't want it to be like for her like that. You know, I don't want that to happen. And so how do we get ready? And that's what the scripture talks about today. The scripture that I wanted us to read is from Isaiah chapter 38. It's about somebody else who was having a hard time getting ready, being prepared, um, and who actually, I think we can say, this is an assumption, but I'm going to tell you why I assume it. I think he failed at this, actually. This is Isaiah chapter 38. About that time, Hezekiah, who was the king at the time, became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your household in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Let me read that to you one more time. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. Some versions say was on the point of death in his bed. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your household in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover. So what is Hezekiah suffering from at this point? Lara itis right? <laughs> this guy is dying. He is dying, and he needs a prophet from the Lord to come and say, the gig is up. Time is up set your household in order. You will not recover. Like, he hadn't figured that out. God needed to come tell him, look, this is the last, this is the 11th hour. Work it out. Now, what the amazing thing was is Hezekiah refused to give up even then and turns his face to the wall and prays, Lord, spare me. And Because of his faithfulness as a king, we're going to talk about that, God does spare him. And Isaiah goes, Isaiah's walking out after delivering this message. He's in the courtyard and God says, hey, go back. I've given him 15 more years. So he goes back and he, great news, Hezekiah, 15 more years. And Hezekiah does live 15 more years and you know what he never did? He never got his household in order. He never did. Now, Just because you don't have your household in order doesn't mean you're not an awesome person at your job. Hezekiah was awesome at his job. What was his job? He was the king. He was the ruler of the nation of Israel. He ruled at a dark time. He had a terrible dad. He had a terrible dad. His dad was named Ahaz. Have any of y'all ever heard of Ahaz? It's not a good deal to be the son of Ahaz. Ahaz, um, he was so bad. You know, there was all these terrible things happening and the nation was going astray and God kept calling ahaz to lead the people back to god but instead ahaz said i'm going further away because this is so bad that i'm gonna i'm gonna go to a different god and so he um he put up pagan altars he had the temple of the lord he had it raided he like took all the good stuff and tried to bribe the other nations into doing what he wanted it didn't work you know and eventually he shut the doors of the temple and locked them so that no one else could come worship the lord either Because if he wasn't going to worship the Lord, nobody in his nation was going to worship the Lord. That was Hezekiah's dad. Terrible. And then when he dies, when Ahaz dies, in the next month, Hezekiah starts undoing all that his father had done. He calls the priests back and he's like, purify yourselves. Because in those days, there was purity codes and the temple had been shut down. They weren't worried about that. He said, look, we're going to get back on track. I'm getting you back on track, and so start being priests again. And he says, open up the temple of the Lord, and whatever's broken or missing, repair it. And so you have the stories in Chronicles and Kings of the lights being relit. You know, imagine the the shades in the temple going up again, you know, and light coming in, and they drag out all the pagan false gods and all the idols, and they get rid of them. And Hezekiah has other people go throughout the town, and anywhere there's an altar to another god, other than the one god, he has it torn down. I mean, that's the kind of reforms he did. It's awesome. He's synonymous with just like great revival and renewal, and he says, not only are we going to do this, but we're going to help the people, and so for the first time in many years, they celebrate a Passover, and it was really too late, but it was too late to do it in the right time of the year because it happens at a certain time of year, but they were like, you know what, it's better to do it the wrong time than not do it at all. And so they they celebrate their first Passover in years, all the people. And Hezekiah leads the way, like with the giving, with the spiritual renewal, with giving his heart to the Lord. He starts to give of his own household to, to make offerings, to lead the way, and then the people make offerings. And then there's so many offerings that You know, they can send them to priests in outlying areas so that the word of God can spread. It's this amazing revival. So what was Hezekiah great at? King, right? Religious leader. Check. Check, king. Check, religious leader. Check, military leader. He was incredible. Awesome. One of the best. 1 Chronicles Chronicles 31-21 says, In all he did in service of the temple of God and his efforts to follow God's laws and commandments... Hezekiah sought God wholeheartedly. As a result, he was successful. So the Bible acknowledges in many different books that Hezekiah was a good leader. He was a good follower of God. But God sends him a prophet and says, you're doing all of that, but there is this broken place in your life that you need to get in order, and it's your own household. Your own household. Not everybody else who you do great leading but what's going on in your own home? (coughs) Now, what happened was he never got his house in order. He was given 15 years, and and that miraculous reprieve, and he still continued to lead the people, and he did these great things. But when his son Manasseh takes over, and Manasseh was very young when he took over. He was born in this reprieve period. He was 12. Do 12-year-olds, I mean, 12-year-olds are still pretty impressionable, right? They haven't hit that awkward stage where they're like, no, you know. Like, They're pretty impressionable. And so I think that Hezekiah had a chance to pour into his son and his household and to teach him what he was trying to do in the rest of the nation. And this is my conjecture. I think he failed. And I think it because of this scripture where Isaiah has to come to him and say, put your house in order. Because when his son, Manasseh, takes over, he undoes everything his father worked for. He puts the altars back up. The temple is neglected again. He undoes everything in one generation because Hezekiah could do all the leadership. He just couldn't do his own household, the broken part. And so the last part we've talked about, getting ready to die, and I, we began with heaven so that we know there's something more. You know, that when we die, it's not darkness. It's the dawning of a new day that never ends. And Jesus promises he will come take our hand. And I shared with you how I've seen that happen. I mean, Carol and I were talking this morning. I was there when her mom died. And y'all were singing the day before she died. What were y'all singing? Marching to Zion. Marching to Zion. And then her mom, who I knew, marched to Zion. I mean, we know this, right? We've, I shared how this happens. And then Jeannie last week talked about the practical things, about how we never know. When, when we're going to die. We don't know, but we can be prepared in a practical way. We can have wills, and we, that helps so much, so much. We can ha- plan our funeral. I know it sounds gruesome. It's awesome. You get to decide, you know, like I think I'm going to preach my own funeral. I'm just going to write it, and somebody can read it, you know. You have the last word, baby, you know. <laughs> don't let somebody else dictate it for you, but here's what I'm going to say. You cannot understand heaven, right? You can, it can be a mystery or you can be afraid. And if you believe in Jesus, when you die, you get to go. No matter what, right? If you believe in Jesus and you still don't get heaven, you get to go there. Yay. You can die and not have a will. I've seen it happen. And it's not ideal, but your family muddles through. And you can die and not have the last word at your funeral, you know, and they're going to pick out some hymns and you'll get over it. Because you're dead, and you're in heaven, and it's okay. But what is the honest truth is, what Isaiah is saying to Hezekiah, we need to hear said to us today in our hearts, if we do not have our household in order, it doesn't matter how much we rocked the rest of our life, how much money we made, how successful, how much everybody thought of us. If we don't have our household in order, when we get to the end of our lives, we are going to have regrets, and those regrets are going to make us cling on to life and not be ready to let go and not be willing to die because we're going to wish we'd done it differently if our house isn't in order, our house. So I want to talk to us, our last thing I want to talk to us about is how to get our house in order. Because if you can have your house in order, if you know the truth of heaven, you have the practical stuff, death won't make you afraid anymore. You're going to live your life with meaning and purpose each day. You're going to not get to the end and go, dang, I wish I had another life to live. You're going to say, thank you, God, for this life that you gave me that I savored every bite of it, every day I loved. So this is how we do it. Number one, you're going to like this, number one. This is the number one thing I see when people are dying that happens, and I want it to just start happening now, is that people, when, when we are dying or someone we love is dying, we want to tell them we love them, right? We want to say, I love you. Um, or we want to, people wait. Like I shared with the first service, my grandpa, Chucko, He waited, I know he was persnickety, and he waited until my sister, she was the last one to get there, he waited until she was there, and then he died after he saw her. Now, what happened is that made Amy feel terrible, because she she was like, I killed Grandpa Choco. You don't wanna do that, just begin right now. If we're gonna get our household in order, then begin. This is Thanksgiving week, right? The household is those people who are closest to us. Doesn't have to be family, but it often is. Why would we wait until our parents are dying to tell them what they mean to us? Until our grandparents are dying, why would I wait until I was at my grandfather's deathbed to say, "Grandpa, knowing you has changed my life. You have been like a father to me." Why would I wait to say that? I did. Not anymore see we don't have to wait if we know that this life is not forever then one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to tell people we love them and not just older people because that might look a little suspicious right (laughs) you look a little old you know so i'm going to tell you that i love you um say it to say it to your kids say it to your spouse if you're married when's the last time you told your spouse you love them that life is different it's better because god brought them into your life your best friends I mean, some of y'all have best friends. I know because you go out and do things with them that you've had since elementary school. I hope you're telling them that you love them. What about your kids? Man, there is nothing like hearing from your parent, I am so proud of the person you are becoming, or I see this in you, and I'm so proud of that. Say it now. Don't wait until you're dying to say it. Don't wait until someone is dying to say it. Say you love the person. It's Thanksgiving. You have an excuse, right? You're like, hey, by the way, I'm thinking about thankfulness, and I'm thankful for you. You know, so it doesn't seem awkward and weird. You just say, I'm so grateful for you. Put your house in order. Tell people you love them. It's what you're going to want to do when your days are numbered. Do it now. Then you won't have regrets. Now, the second thing, as I said, those lovely people are going to be at your Thanksgiving table. Guess who else is going to be there, too? The jerky ones, right? Because the reality is all of us don't have perfect families. We have real families. And maybe you have a beautiful one with no problems. But like it's not, since we are human beings, there will be somebody there who there's, you've had a past with at your Thanksgiving table. Or maybe they're not there because of what happened in the past. Please don't wait. Don't wait until you are dying to try to make that right, you be the one who goes to someone who you have a past with and say, I am sorry. You start it. Don't wait for them to call you because remember they're kind of twits and they're not going to do that and so you go and tell them, I'm sorry. Now then once you say to them, you know that thing that happened, I've never forgotten it and I'm sorry. Maybe what happens is they tell you that they're sorry and the relationship is restored. And maybe what happens is they're a jerk and they just ignore you, right? But you have done what you needed to do. And so your conscience is now clear. The Bible actually says if you're coming to the altar to offer a gift and you remember you have something against your brother, leave your gift. Go make it right and then come back. Don't wait. Do it today. Today, if you can, Thursday at the latest, right? (laughs) Let's have it all straightened out, all of it, the whole world. But let's resolve we're not going to let things fester. And if you think, you know, if I was dying, would I regret something is broken in a relationship, just work on it now. Maybe it wasn't you that was the fault. Maybe somebody else was mean to you. Think about could you say, I wanted you to know I've forgiven you for that. And remember, we can't control how people respond. We can control what we do. And we are God's children, and so that's what we're going to do to put our household in order. We're going to speak love, we're going to offer forgiveness, and we're going to say we're sorry. Here's the next thing we have to choose how we're going to live. We have to choose how we're going to live. Now, Joshua is a different kind of a leader than Hezekiah. He was also successful as a military leader. He was also successful as a religious leader. He led the people on the days when everybody was like, Yay! And he led the people on the days when everybody was like, You know? He was the one who went the, The scouts went over to the land of Canaan, and everybody's like, We can't do it. We can't do it. Joshua, because he so loved the Lord and was dedicated to him, was one of the only ones saying, Wait, we can do this don't listen to that bad report. We can do it. We can take this. And so Joshua was a person who, from a young age, had followed the Lord. He's speaking in the book of Joshua. I believe it's chapter 24. Let me turn there. Chapter 24. 23 and 24 are his final words. So he knows he's about to die. He's not laying on his bed in denial, right, like Hezekiah. He's out talking to the people and saying something interesting. He's trying to help them make a choice. He says in chapter 24, verse 14, 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Did you notice that? We don't have forever. Today is the day. Make the choice, Joshua says, who you will serve. And then he says, would you prefer the gods of your ancestors? Your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates. You know, you want to go backward. or you, He says, or will it be the gods of the Amorites and whose land you n- live now? But the choice has to be made. Make the choice. When? Today. No waiting. Make the choice. And then he says this, which is why I know um, that he's a good leader. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Not just as for me, because that's what Hezekiah had right. He had right who he was going to serve. But as for me and the people who are closest to me, we're clear. We're going to serve the Lord. You know what happened after Joshua died? The next generation, it carried on. They knew how to follow the Lord because Joshua and the leaders that were with him had taught that next generation. So that unlike Hezekiah, whom Manasseh comes and it all unravels, Joshua had said, as for me and my family, we've made our choice. Make our choice. Make it today. I see that so often. I think this is so tragic that we wait until the end to turn to the Lord. Now that is much better to turn to the Lord at the end than to never turn, but you're missing out on life today. Like, life can be better today. You know, Faith is not just about, yay, we're going to heaven when we die. It's about life is better. We're not alone. We know who we're going to serve. So when we see that river in flood or when we see those walls and people are laughing at us or whatever, those are all things Joshua encountered. This giant army comes marching against us. The Lord is at our side. We're at the Lord's side. We know who we are, whose allegiance is ours, right, who we're giving ourselves to. So I'd ask y'all if... Somebody was sneakily following you around, could see everything you did all day, and they were just writing down, you know, did this, did this, did this. And they had to put in a blank. It said, this person's allegiance belongs to, and there was a blank. What would go in the blank? Just if they watched you. Choose today whose name is in the blank. If you can get the top of the paper right, the rest of the paper falls into place. So before we go on, let's pray, because all of us could stand to rededicate ourselves there to that top line. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that oftentimes we are distracted, we are lured away from you, we begin well, but we wander. And so, Lord, today, we rededicate ourselves We say our allegiance is yours, Lord. We ask you to write your name, Jesus, in that top line. Let everything else flow from it. And Lord, some of us have never made that choice. We've just been waiting. So we pray today with them, please put your name in that top line. We would choose you. Amen. Life gets better when you choose Jesus. I don't, know how, I don't know how we can do it without Jesus. So speak love. Speak forgiveness. Find forgiveness. Choose who you will serve. And teach it to the next generation. What I want to tell you is, some of us have kids in our household. We have to instruct them. I keep thinking, if I can lead you well, but I fail those two kids, I'm going to be like Hezekiah. Could lead a nation, you know, could lead the people and fail the kids. No. We have to lead our children well. And even after our kids are grown, we're given grandkids and we're given kids in this church who sit right up here who are our responsibility. And the saddest thing would be is if we, you know, minister to needs in New Jersey and we go to Lucinda and Guatemala and, and we change lives here and welcome new people into the family of God. And then all of us die because we will. There will come a day when everybody in this room is no longer alive. Well, what then? What will the next generation know because we were here? We have to teach our household as a church about the Lord, about following the Lord, so that they continue and carry on. And that was the cool thing about Joshua is the next generation carried on. After those great leaders, they just carried on. So I wanted to close this way. Well, I want to tell you one thing. The last thing you can do is um, have the last word. And when my father-in-law died, he died three years ago, and it was rather sudden. Um, He had cancer, but he had been fighting it and winning for seven years. And then one day, my mother-in-law left the house, and he laid down for a nap, and he never got up. And they took him to the hospital, and I I was actually the first one there because I was close. I was at the church, and my mother-in-law came in, and then Kevin came in, and they they came into the room, and they said, we tried everything, but we couldn't save him. And we went in, and... um, stood around him and held hands across his body and thanked God for his life because he was such a strong witness to us. And we cried, of course, and we left. And that week, my mother-in-law got out this sermon. His, um, my father-in-law wasn't a preacher, but he had preached to college kids this one time. He taught college kids English, actually. And one time he shared his faith with them, and he saved the sermon, and he said, just save this until I'm gone. And it was about how he faced death. And he had written like, he had written about being diagnosed and about how he feared he'd never see his grandchildren and how glad he was that God had given him the years that he had and how he treasured each day he got to see his grandchildren and that he not only got to see them but got to talk with them. And he was just listing out what he was thankful for. And then he said, and I'm not afraid to die. He said it to those college kids. He said, I know you're young. And you're not thinking about this, but someday you will be. And if you're afraid, I just want you to know, don't be afraid. He said, um, when he got diagnosed, the doctor took out a pad to write a prescription. He said, I'm going to write you a prescription for sleeping pills. And Warren said, because this is my father-in-law, I won't need those. And he didn't. He slept every night because he had the peace of Christ. It's an amazing gift. And um, he told them not to be afraid to die but to live every day with purpose so that when you get to the end, you're not, you don't have regrets. And that ministered to me. It ministered to Kevin. It ministered to his sisters um, after he was gone. And so what I would encourage you is, um, Billy, I know John did this. John write, wrote a little letter that I got to read at his service about how blessed he felt to have loved you, to have been led by God. And it was comforting to so many people to hear his words. And so what I would say is if you can Just write that. Write right now what life means to you, what you're grateful for, how your faith has shaped you, and put it away. So that when, if anything ever happens or when, because it's not if, right? (laughs) Oh, it's not if, it's when it happens, when we die. Then someone can get it out and say, here's a person who trusted the Lord, who who counted every day and said, this is a wonderful day, but who knew that when they died, it's going to be okay. Now, if we can do that, if we can express love, if we can offer forgiveness and receive it, if we can choose our allegiance today and live like we mean it, then when we get to the end of our lives, it'll be a lot like this poem, which some of y'all might have heard. It's from the movie Act of Valor. Um, It's by Chief Tecumseh. And he talks about, I think he grasps how we live in such a way that death really is like going home. This is what he says. Live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Love your life perfect your life, beautify all things in your life, seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people, prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide, when you arise in the morning give thanks for the food and for the joy of living, if you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself, abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision, when it comes your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fe- the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Let's pray. God, we, we ask that you would give us the courage to count and love our days, to live the lives that we want to live, right now to live in such a way to give give you our hearts so fully that we don't regret and when we fail to turn to you so that we can find forgiveness and move on not looking towards the past but looking towards the future the glorious days that are ahead of us lord because we know you no matter what we're walking through the joy that is ours so that we can say like paul to live is christ and to die is gain we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing our closing hymn. These guys have chosen such good hymns um, for these things. And if you would like to join with the church, you know we'd love to have you. Come on up as we sing this last
1: hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich life. Was lost, but now I found. Was blind, oh, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear.